Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Beloved church, it is so great to be here. It's so great to open up the Word of God and hear three chapters of it read uh, by our faithful and uh, loving elders. I was so eager to be here today. I woke up like almost every Sunday. I woke up before my alarm clock went off, and my first thought was not of the Green Bay Packers. My second or third was, but not my first. My first thought was, uh, I get to go and be with God's people, and we get to open God's word, and we get to have our, our focus redirected. We get to have our errors corrected. We get to have our weakness and our almost giving up strengthened with endurance by James 1 and 2 and 3. And so briefly this morning, I just want to dip into each of these three chapters to exhort and encourage you. Uh, this is the, the kind of a reintroduction to the book of James, but it could just as easily have been the last sermon in our uh, first of all series for the new year, because what we'll see is what kind of focus we ought to have in this new year that is before us. So as we open up to James together, James starts out with this strange calling, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. If you watch the year-end news programs, the meme that captured the essence of 2020 was a dumpster on fire. It was a difficult year with many trials in it. I have some bad news for you. 2021 is going to be a difficult year with many trials in it. And if we last till 22 and 23 and 24, I expect much of the same. Because James says, when you meet trials of various kinds. But in addition to the bad news, I have some good news for you. A year with a huge number of trials in it can be a year with more joy in it for you than ever before. This is the good news, that we can have joy in the midst of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One of the things that we really dig about James is that he's blunt and he gets to the point, and he's not worried about your feelings, and he's not worried even about being misunderstood. He just lays it out there. So, what's going to make the difference of encountering trials and having yourself deflated, or encountering trials and having yourself filled with joy? Of everything that I could say to you, we're going to sum it up, make it really simple this morning. It all comes down to one thing. If you're going to have joy in 2021 or not, it all comes down to one thing. And the one thing is not whether or not you're going to have trials in 2021. No trials, you'll have joy. If you have trials, you won't have joy. That's not what it comes down to. The one thing that it comes down to, the one thing that it comes down to is this. In 2021, are you going to live for comfort or for conformity to Christ? That's it. In 2021, are you going to live for comfort or are you going to live for conformity to Christ? 
If you live for comfort, then any time a trial threatens your comfort, your joy will be evaporated and shattered. But if you live for conformity to Christ, then every time you encounter a trial of various kinds, you know that your faith in Christ will be tested. You know that your union with Christ will be warmed. As it were, you'll melt like a piece of metal and be forged closer to Christ through the trial. When we encounter trials and when we encounter difficulties, one of the things we need is a compass, a roadmap, a flashlight. We need wisdom. We need direction, don't we? Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. We need wisdom. I cannot, I, I cannot think of an elder meeting with the whole board or a smaller meeting that I've had, say, just with Jeremy, or just with Jeremy and Guy, or just with two of the elders, where we haven't prayed specifically for wisdom. We do not need more worldly wisdom. We do not need more opinion polls. We do not need more hot takes. We do not need more hashtags. We do not need more comments on Facebook. What we need is wisdom from God. In our board meeting last Sunday night, we prayed together for wisdom. And I told the guys, we don't, this is a, I've never gone into a year uh, less certain about who's who and who's where in the church because of the way 2020 just shuffled us all around, you know? And together we prayed for wisdom. The board prayed for wisdom for these four priorities for 2021. That we would stick to our mission of making and training disciples who make and train disciples. That we wouldn't be distracted from the mission. The mission matters most because Jesus Christ matters most. And second, that we would be especially effective in seeking out wandering sheep. Some of our sheep still aren't back because of health concerns. Some of our sheep still aren't back because they have wandered. And we need wisdom in seeking out those wandering sheep, whether to woo them with compassion or whether to go after them with the discipline of the Lord, both. We need wisdom to fulfill our mission, to seek out wandering sheep. Third, we need wisdom for guarding and guiding the unity of the body. Last year, we were, we were physically separated from each other. Even this year, we're together, but sometimes because of the mask, it's hard to tell if you're grimacing or frowning or smiling. We've been separated in many ways. But more than physically, we've been separated by cultural, <clears throat> political, medical divisions. And we need to guard and guide the unity of the body of Christ. James 1 will help us do that. And a fourth priority, because we don't want to miss out on this, is to fulfill our mission by local evangelism. There has never been a better time to reach out to hurting people. There has never been a better time to reach out to lonely people. We sang that song, oh, how good it is that we've been given the blessing of belonging to the body of Christ. 
when we reach out to someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, well, they get their sins forgiven, but they get the blessing of belonging to the body of Christ. We, we don't want to let up at all on the priority of local evangelism. And we need wisdom to pursue those priorities, to fulfill our mission, to seek out wandering sheep, to guard and guide the unity of the body and to pursue local evangelism. And God will give us that wisdom in his grace and in his mercy because if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it generously to all without reproach. We want to ask in faith with no doubting not like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. We don't want to be double-minded. We want to ask God for wisdom and know, based on the character of God, that he will answer our prayer. From uh, James chapter 1, we can even turn to James chapter 2 and see what it says about faith and works. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 what good is it? James is so blunt. James says things, James says things uh, so that you could misinterpret it if you just took it and ran with it, but he's not worried about that. He just wants to make his point with a bold highlighter. He says, what good is it if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? Verse 14, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James says, if there's a, a poor, emaciated man who's starving to death, and you say to him, I'm just dreaming of a Culver's value meal with the cheese dripping off the burger. Upgrade the extra 60 cents to the cheese curds and everything. And you say that to him, he's still going to starve to death because those words aren't going to help him. This is when he says, if you say you have faith, but it doesn't operate in the way you encounter trials, in the way you spend money, the way you care for orphans, in the way you refuse to kowtow to the rich, but you treat the poor image bearers exactly the same. If your faith doesn't make a difference in those areas, it's not doing any good, he says. It's not real. It's not alive. Church, we believe that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves, and we believe that salvation is by grace through faith. We don't believe that salvation is a magic formula that if we repeat the words on a card, we're saved. We believe that that, that faith, that faith is an active entrustment of myself to Christ. And that faith is an active entrustment of my entire life to Jesus. So what he says goes. What he says goes. I tell you, in the modern world, we, we move from diagnosis to cure so quick. And not only do we want a vaccine, but we want it to work 100% of the time. We want it to be available to 100% of the people. We want it to be free. We want it to be painless with no side effects. And it has to work exactly right. In our modern world, we, just, we expect everything to be fixed <clears throat> immediately and flawlessly. James 
is much more realistic than that. If you notice, in every chapter, he's correcting dysfunction in the life of the church. But in every chapter, he's emphasizing the reality of a living faith. James does not believe that if you have a living faith, there will be no problems in your life and no problems in your church. But what James believes is, if you have a living faith, the problems in your life and the problems in your church will not be lethal but you will progressively, little by little, overcome them through obeying the word of God. The solutions in the Bible, they don't work quickly. They don't work exactly the same uh, time-wise with every person. But we, church, we believe that the solutions and the answers are in the word of God. There is not anything that we went through in the year 2020 that could not precisely be, be dealt with within the church by the word of God. Nothing, nothing. This church is utterly committed to the sufficiency of scripture. Certainly the inerrancy of scripture, certainly the authority of scripture, but also the sufficiency of scripture for whatever storm comes our way. We're committed to the preaching and teaching of the word of God because we believe that scripture is sufficient. And we are committed to smaller fellowships, adult Bible fellowships, where the operative thing is the discussion about the word of God. We've got to receive it, believe it, and walk in conformity to it. So, here's a church member. And this church member maybe has a, a habitual sin. And this church member says, I listened to the preaching for a year and I, I just can't overcome my sin habit. So we say, okay, don't just listen to the preaching. Also get into an ABF and get into a small group where you can discuss the word of God. Okay, so they do that year two. I listened to the preaching for two years and I went into an ABF for a year and I still can't overcome my sinful habit. Well, what do we do now? The problem is not in the word of God. The problem is not that God has not given inerrant and sufficient and very winsome and helpful counsel in his word. The problem is not in the word of God. The problem is that the word of God must be one believed the God who revealed the word must be feared. And the principles that are presented in the word must be chewed up and meditated upon and become part of your DNA. This is the issue. You've got to place yourself under the authority of the word of God volitionally. You have to meditate on the word of God even emotionally. You have to, in a sense, feel the word of God viscerally because of its reality. James 1, verse 21. James 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. You need to receive it like that. It, the problem is not in the word of God. The problem is that the word of God has not been received with meekness. The problem is not in the word of God. 
The problem is in the receptivity to the word of God in the person. And so we need a verse 21 of chapter one, put away the filthiness and receive it with meekness. If we don't receive the word with meekness, if we don't receive the word with meekness, then we're really like the demons. Go back to chapter two, verses 19 and 20. You believe that God is one, our person. Well, I listened to the preaching. I put my body in a chair in ABF. You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. <laughs> the, the, the problem's not the preaching of the word or the fellowship of the saints. The, the problem is that somehow our person here, she's become a woman or he's become a man that, that the word of God bounces off of. We got to peel off that outer layer of self-defensive rubber or, or defensiveness. And we've got to receive it with meekness. What James is talking about here, and I think you heard it when Guy and, and um, Jeremy read it. What James says, it's almost like, well, isn't that the exact opposite of what Paul says somewhere else about salvation not being by works, but being by, by grace and by faith? Well, what James is talking about here, it, it links up with that because He's not just talking about a change of behavior. Back to our person with a, with, a, with a habitual sin that they just can't quit. Does that person's behavior need to change, yes or no? Yes. Sin should not be engaged in. Sin should be repented of, and it should cease. But it's not merely a behavior change. It's the operation of faith. This is the difference. It's not merely a behavior change. It is a change of faith because the change grows out of union with Christ. Meekness at the mercy of Christ in my life. Rejoicing at the grace of Christ in my life. This is what makes it not merely a behavior change, but an actual outgrowth of faith so that we're dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ, so that sin appears ugly and wicked and no longer attractive because the beauty of Christ and our longing 118 for the crown of righteousness which Jesus will give to those who love him, that's what drives us. We have a new affection because we are united with Christ in faith. Demons don't have that. A person who takes the time to drive to church and listen to the preaching doesn't necessarily have that. It's this living faith that we're working at here. It's this faith that is meek and receptive to receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's a change in behavior, but it's not merely a behavior change. It's putting to death the old me. What's the old me? The old me is me without Christ. The old me is me with the Lord of my life is Spencer. The new me is me in Christ where gladly the yoke of Christ is, is, is the yoke that I want. I gladly place my neck under it with meekness and with joy. I constantly live now out of my union with Christ. So what James says about living faith is not that different than what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 and 7 or in Galatians 3. 
It's not that different to the, these two, I love them, they're old King James words that John Owen came up with when he was trying to describe this, mortification and vivification. Putting to death and walking in new life. It's not merely a behavior change, though it is a behavior change. It is mortification of the old me that was me that was not in union with Christ. And it's vivification of the new me that is me with a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mortification is putting to death. Mortification means ruthless repudiation. You repudiate it, meaning you say, you shove it away from you. And that repudiation is ruthless. No little sin gets to, like a little kitty cat, cozy up to you and say, well, not me, not me. Ruthless repudiation of those habits, those thoughts, and a vivification of of my life in Christ, of living faith. Bringing to life means... James 1.22, being a doer of the word and not hearing only. Being a doer of the word. And I'm telling you, church, this is the way it is. Let me be as blunt as James is. Every time you harbor a grudge, you're, you're resisting the word of God. Every time you entertain impure thoughts, you are sowing to the flesh, to use Paul's term in Galatians. Every time you nurse a grievance and a vengeance against somebody else, you're, 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 you're keeping alive the old sin every time you resist the impulse to pray, every time you let the word of God be neglected, you're sowing to the flesh and, and, and not walking by faith. And sadly, it, ha- it is the case, sadly, that some people, they refuse to walk by faith month after month after month. They sow to the flesh month after month after month. And then they look around one day and they wonder, why is there no joy of holiness in my life? Why is there no sweetness in my worship? Well, this is why. This is why. The answer's right in front of us. The answer's not hard to unravel. The answer is as clear as the gospel, meaning justification by grace through faith, and then sanctification by the living faith, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, operative in the human spirit. And once it's at work in us, we cooperate with that work by our habits and our disciplines. This is why when we call you to walk by faith, I'm insisting, our elders are insisting, be here for corporate worship to sing God's praises, to hear the word of God preached, to see the right administration of the ordinances of of the, the body and the blood. But then not only in corporate worship, but also in ABF, where those relationships of mutual accountability are needed and enjoyed. So from James 2 about living faith, walking, not by the flesh, but by the spirit, to use Paul's terminology. And we can go to James 3. 
Look at verses one and two. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Sometimes, sometimes I'm shocked that anybody uh, says yes when I ask them to go out to lunch and I ask them if they would be willing to come on our elder board like I did with Kai and like I did with Jeremy and many others. Because the word of God says that those who are teaching leaders in the church, they will face a greater judgment. It's heavy. Because the tongue can cause so many troubles. And then don't you love the way James 3 ends? Verses 13 through 18. Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. No bitter jealousy, no selfish ambition, don't boast. That's not the wisdom that comes from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You can't miss that word peace. Shalom, if we were speaking Hebrew. You can't miss the emphasis on that word peace in verse 18. Man, I appreciate the Bible's realism. James is so blunt. We want peace. We want peace. He repeats it twice in verse 18. We want peace. We want peace. But then if you read chapter 3, basically the, 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 the essence of chapter 3 is Every time two people get together and one of them talks is a huge wildfire threatening peace. The tongue is just like, it, it, just, it, just, it just flames out all the time. James is so realistic. I love, his, I love his realism. He knows that relationships will go sideways in the church. Even after 2020 even minus whatever controversy that the media is buzzing about, relationships go sideways in the church. James is so realistic about that. James is so blunt. James is the kind of friend who loves you enough to tell you when you're being an idiot. He doesn't, he doesn't do it in a mean way. He does it because he's your friend and he loves you. And if you're his friend, he doesn't want to be friends with an idiot. He wants you to be reformed. But James knows that every single one of us is going to delve into idiocy from time to time. James knows that conflict is inevitable. James knows there will be problems in the church. He knows that parents who are raising teenagers will have a hard time because those teenagers can be sinful and mean and also those parents can be sinful and mean. He knows that. He knows that wives will mistreat their husbands. He knows that husbands will mistreat their wives. He knows that friends who would never imagine they would have a falling out will have a falling out and then they'll never be able to imagine how they could ever be friends again. James knows that kind of stuff happens all the time. James knows that new church leaders 
who are, who, who are taking on the work, maybe they're in their 20s, maybe they're in their 30s, they want to do things a little differently than the current church leaders who are in their 60s who have had their hands at the work for 20 years. And these things will cause friction. James knows that board members will have differing opinions about masks and government overreach. He knows that. That's not a, that's not a, a, a mystery to him. James knows that if we have to remodel the church kitchen, somebody's going to say, well, we should spend this amount of money on it. And someone else is going to say, that's way too much. And someone else is going to say, well, that's not enough to get the kind of kitchen that's going to serve us. We have differences of opinions on these things. I was talking, I told the church board, I think at our last meeting, I put it in my, my written report to them. You know, these two things are possible. Maybe this is too inside baseball for you, but think about it in church world. Think about it. These two things are possible. You can have a church board of 28 people, 28 men, that has a unanimous vote. Everyone votes yes. Yet still members of that board are distrusting and acrimonious toward each other. Other side, you could have a church board, 28 men, and you could have a vote that's split. Say 22 voted yes and six voted no, and we went with it anyway. But every single one of those 28 men loves and trusts in the other 27. Why? Because the absence of verse 14 of James 3, the absence of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting that is false to the truth. And because of the presence of James chapter 3, verse 17, wisdom from above that's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. It was so good to have some members of our elder board read that scripture today. It was good for me because, (laughs) believe it or not, and if you actually know me, I guarantee you will believe this. <laughs> believe it or not. More than once, more than twice, more than three times in my life, I've had to call Guy Lad and say, Guy, I owe you an apology. I said such and such, and I shouldn't have said that. I did such and such, and I shouldn't have done that. And every time, he has forgiven me. And and. Whether we, whether we agree or disagree, like what, what we work out, there's, there's this, kind of, this kind of wisdom that brings peace. This is a blessing. We ought to guard it. We ought to guide it. And only the Spirit of God produces it. Remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 about church leaders? 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26 and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Sounds a lot like James 3, 13 to 18. Pastors know this. Church leaders know this. Teachers know this. Parents know this. Harshness. Harshness hinders the transmission of truth in the teaching. And gentleness greatly assists the transmission of truth in the teaching. And so 
if, if you have the opportunity to teach and lead, if moment by moment by moment you're operating in living faith, in living faith, then this is what you realize. This is what you realize. Every good thing is from God. So as you're operating in that contentious meeting, you are not operating thinking, if I don't make everyone conform to me, the whole world's going to fall apart. You're delivered from that because you are no longer sovereign and your will is not the eternal, all good, all knowing will. You think you see something and you think you see it from God, so you speak it, but you leave it in God's hands. This is living faith. The goal isn't that that everyone conforms to you. The goal is not your comfort, that you're happy that everyone bows down to you. Your goal is conformity to Christ. And so there's there's a gentleness of spirit even when you insist in a sharp tone that your interlocutor is not understanding you. You stand up for what you're talking about. You don't just melt. You say, no, this is my point, and I'm asking you to respect me enough to take the time to understand it. You lay those things out, but there's, there's an undergirding gentleness of Christ's likeness with it. This is so good for us, because like James 3, 13 to 18 says, there's a demonic, unspiritual, selfish ambition and there's a peaceable, gentle wisdom. But wisdom, again, back to church leadership, gentleness, the gentleness of wisdom is zealous for what's right and true. Gentleness does not mean, well, I, I only say nice things. Gentleness does not mean, well, I'm here to compliment everybody and I'll never disagree. That's not what gentleness means and that person has no place in leadership. Gentleness means that that I'm not driven by this selfish ambition, but I have a living faith in God who's sovereign so I can trust his time and his will. But gentleness does not mean that I just put up with everything and keep the peace. Where there's false teaching, it needs to be rebuked. Titus 1.9 says what qualifies someone for a position in church leadership is that they are unwilling to leave false teaching unrebuked. So it's not just a, oh, everything's cool, I'll go along with anything. Not at all. That's not biblical gentleness. And we understand that here from James 3. So how do we have these things? How do we have this James 3 gentleness and wisdom in relational difficulties? And how do we have this James 2 uh, mortification of sin and the living in faith? And how do we have this James 1 joy in trials? Well, the only way we're going to get anything is if we get it from the source from which comes every good and perfect gift. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And James says, every good gift in verse 17, every good gift. And then in verse 18, James says the greatest gift of all, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. 
and he brought me forth by the gospel. I was not only sinful, I was shamefully sinful. And instead of turning his back on me like he could have, he reached out to me and he embraced me. This is the great gift of salvation. I was so horribly guilty and he forgave me by shedding his own blood. And once that's happened, well, once that's happened, my pride is gone. I'm a debtor to mercy alone. You can see how proud, self-important people are easily angered and they can't tolerate being disagreed with. But you could see how humble, saved, well, I'm just overwhelmed by God's mercy and God's grace. You can see how humble people, it's hard to make them angry and they're not easily touchy and offensive because they recognize that that every good gift they have is from God. And so they're free to devote themselves to God's glory and their neighbor's good. This is what it means to walk in living faith, to have a life that's filled with gratitude for God's grace. This, this is the focus that the church needs in the year ahead. And by God's grace, I see that in our leaders. By God's grace, I see that in you. May God continue to help us to grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you with thanks for every good and perfect gift is from you. And Heavenly Father, we bow before you in in overwhelming gratitude for the gospel that when we were lost, you found us. When we were in our sin, you forgave us. You embraced us and have given us the blessing of belonging. So we ask, Lord, that you would fill your church with a spirit of joy, We ask that you would fill the leaders in your church with this godly, gentle wisdom. We ask that you would enable us in the year ahead to chase down those who have wandered, to reach new people that that don't know Jesus yet through local evangelism, to fulfill our mission of making and training disciples, and that you would guard and guide our unity as a flock. We ask that you would do these things, that your church may be built up in Jesus Christ. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.